thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. Welcome to The Abnormal Psychologist, the show that shares everyday insights into getting the best out of your mind, body, and lifestyle. Now, please welcome your host, The Abnormal Psychologist herself, Carrie Thompson-Casey. Hello there, everybody, and welcome to another episode of The Abnormal Psychologist with me, your host, Carrie Thompson-Casey, the show where we are giving you the how-to to get the best out of you. And today, we are talking to the sensational Susan McDonald, who is an organizational psychologist who works as a consultant and trainer in leadership and also coaches managers in the workplace. And I came across a very interesting article that she wrote on resilience in the workplace. And I thought this is something that I really wanted to share with the listeners of The Abnormal Psychologist, because some of you may not work and some of you may, and you may or may not have been in contact with someone in your workplace who's, who can be quite difficult. And, and thinking about that person, whether it be a manager or a colleague, maybe even a client um, that, that seems to deplete you whenever you have an interaction. So I'm really looking forward to talking to Susan. So welcome, Susan. Hello. How are you, Carrie? Yes, great. Thank you very much. Thank you for joining us. So I was wondering if you could give us a bit of a background um, and an intro into who you are. Okay. Well, I started out uh, in Tasmania. I, I was at school and university first in Tasmania and then moved to jobs in New South Wales and in Adelaide. And so my undergraduate degree was in psychology and then I, I moved into sort of research areas. And then when I met my husband, we moved to New Zealand. So I spent 20 years there and I've had a variety of things since then. I, I moved out of psychology and I went into things like we were farming, um, we did orcharding, uh, worked in, in business, and, and, and it, was, it was really good. So I've had a varied background. And then what I found was when I was working on the farm, and I thought, this is great, you're outside, you're doing these wonderful things, but it got to the stage where I thought, hang on, there's more to life. And uh, that's, that's a little bit of resilience too. And so that was when I, I actually heard a radio broadcast and it was just like this. And I heard <laughs> someone being interviewed and this was, this was a long time ago too. I heard this person being interviewed and she was an organisational psychologist and I thought, that's what I want to do. And that was my turning point, my inspiration. And from there, I went and did postgraduate work, and uh, was ended up uh, after after doing doing that. And I asked my supervisors, "What's the best way to actually cement all this knowledge?" And they said, "Go and teach it." So I did that for the next five years. I taught organisational behaviour and communication and human resources and all of those sorts of things, and I loved it. But then thought, no, it's time to move. So we moved back to Australia. And so since 2000, have, year 2000, have been back here in Australia, based in Canberra, working as a consultant. For a little while, went into an organisation working as a human resources manager, but working as a consultant, as a coach. And in, it, it basically to try and help people get the most out of their work their their life at work and I've had a progression through through the last fifteen years of what I think is more important at work. So so that's that's my work story anyway, my work bio. It's it's followed like many people's a fairly circuitous route. You go down 
various ways. You recreate yourself in various ways. But for the last 15 years, it's been very much, or 20 years nearly, very much in this trying to help people have a more satisfying uh, work environment. So you, you traded in your gumboots from the farm and, and went into a different lot of trenches into the into the workplace where, where it can be quite tricky working with people as opposed to, to working with crops and, and animals as well. So tell us a bit about your, your work in organisations and the article talks about resilience and I think yeah. the earlier part of the article talks about um, I think it's three stages or three areas that you looked at. Could you tell the listeners a little bit about that? Okay, well... One of the reasons that I, I wrote that article too, and I'll, I'll just I'll just give a bit of context to this, was that in the in the last fifteen years, I've seen so much change in the workplace, and it's become far more volatile, more complex, more ambiguous. And what I'm seeing is that the the old models of managing and working in workplaces don't seem as relevant and as helpful anymore. And that it is around now trying to uh, uh, give people everyone the skills of resilience because we look to our managers to say well what are we doing and where are we going and you're the leader but in most cases they don't know either and they're suffering just as much so this is around uh, trying to help people develop those skills in in resilience and they're the things the things that are most important in resilience are having that that self-awareness, that really strong self-awareness of what's important to you, what are your skills, what are your values, who are you? And and when you do that at one stage, you may find in another year that things have changed a little bit according to circumstances. That's fine. You're not static. You grow. But it's really being aware of your own needs, your own values. Values are really important because they're the things that drive what you do. So that's the first main area. The other thing, it's one. the second main area is around having what's been bandied around for a long time is that emotional intelligence. But it's being aware of others and others and emotions and the reason that I have put that in there is important is that if you're going to be resilient you need also there are times when you need support from other people well you're never going to get support from other people unless you can give it to them as well so you have to be aware of other people's feelings and then when you're in the hole they come in and they help you. We work as a team. So that emotional awareness, that emotional intelligence is really important as well. And then the third main area is around the um, having that flexibility, that psychological flexibility, but it's also, which is, is around the tools that you can use. It's around, and everyone's different in this third area. Um, it's the strategies and tools that help you become resilient and there are the important things like there's sleep, there's diet, there's exercise, there's being positive strategies around that, there's um, the strategies around actually accepting your emotions, identifying your emotions. So there's lots of different strategies and this is where I think resilience gets confused because not everyone likes the same thing. So for some people meditation or mindfulness is the bee's knees. For others, they'd run a mile before they did anything like that. Same with exercise. So everyone has to find their own little bit that's important for them and what works for them. So it's you don't have to follow a rule in this. It's sort of like an N of one. You are the person 
in here. It's not the whole population what's going to be helpful to you. So they're the three main areas, self-awareness, the emotional intelligence, and then being aware of all of these different strategies that can help you become more resilient. That's great. And I think we'll come back and talk a little bit more about uh, resilience in a moment and some of the practical skills perhaps you could share a couple with the listeners but I just wanted to go back for a second um, I think in the article you, you talked about one, some of the issues being the lack of management skills that managers um, as you said there's been so much change that management looks so different and I think managers um, aren't necessarily as you said the old rule just from my own observations is that you know before you know you might have been in your late 40s, 50s, or or even later before people took on that management role. But now people are being recruited at, as managers so much younger um, and with so much less experience in that particular context. And sometimes experience in the area they're managing doesn't seem as relevant as perhaps the management training they've had in like formal tertiary institutions. So I'm not sure what your thoughts are there. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And, and, and if we... They've had management training for a long time, but it actually hasn't really been incredibly, it hasn't transferred that well to the workplace. And and I think it's really important to keep giving people the skills of management and leading others and supervising others. But we're still not changing in terms of how helpful that's been. So I think we have to address this from multiple ways and that is now starting to look at, okay, let's help everyone learn about the skills of resilience because what you've touched on there too is that times have, and what I mentioned before, times have changed. We, it, the environment, since mainly since about 2008, it has just, just really changed and we just don't know what's going to happen next year let alone five years or ten years. It's so uncertain. And what we as individuals always want is certainty. If we don't get certainty, we get stressed. And so therefore, when we get stressed, we expect a manager to be able to tell us what to do. And managers, as you say, there are all sorts of ages now. They don't necessarily have the expertise. They don't know what the answers are. So I think we're putting too much pressure in many cases on our managers who are also stressed. It's, it's almost incumbent on everyone now within the work environment to develop this new set of skills around resilience, around actually dealing, being able to cope with the unexpected, with the unusual, with the changes, with not knowing. And they're the things that, if, if from an evolutionary perspective, we're not geared to do very well. As we, and I think that's probably across the board too in in all areas of our life we, we seek that predictability and consistency and and unpredictability and inconsistency is what gives us that sense of lack of control or helplessness or or chaos and and traumatic for some people um, I, I was interested as well in your article you also talked about the impacts of being connected 24/7 and I think that it tied in with managers, themselves you know there's always sort of like a reporting line so I'm not trying to give managers a hard time here at all um, and in fact I'm the manager of my practice here with other staff so but I think um, what happens is there's this expectation of being connected 24-7 that that everybody on the, the the line of command whether they're a frontline worker or wherever they're they're at that people will respond to emails even at eight o'clock at night or or you know um 
the people's expectations of being responded to are quite high. They want this immediate response back. Can you do you have any comment about that about that that work environment and and being connected twenty four seven and the impact that's having? Yeah, yeah, I, I do, and I, and and you'll know you'll have seen too the impact of that sort of thing. Though these these are just chronic stresses because yes. people are always slightly vigilant. Yes, and yes. As, as a result, it's building up your cortisol levels, and we all know the impact of cortisol is actually really scary. I mean, you, you, it's linked to things like diabetes. It's linked to increasingly linked to um, um, premature. Um, um, uh, you know, Alzheimer's type conditions. Uh, it's it, they're even finding that it's not completely substantiated. Some links with cancers. The, the, the elevated, continual elevation of cortisol is just not good for you. We're not made that way. So this this twenty four seven is is really quite dangerous for for many people in the workplace. And I've I have worked with people. I've coached people over the last few years, some people who have been on this sort of regime and they are becoming dysfunctional in their workplace. They can't think because what the chronic stress means it actually reduces your ability to, to think creatively, to make decisions. You tend to, to jump to conclusions. You, it reduces your ability to get on with other people, to read other people's emotions. And it, but so it has, it has cognitive effects so it affects your thinking it has emotional effects because you tend to get more emotional stress more easily and it also has it actually has physiological effects on on your body and that's that's a real worry and you see this too i think some of the evidence came out too with uh, carers uh who who carers are of people who of young children who were severely who were sick who were sick for a long period of time and the impact of of that 24/7 on those carers has been what it's done is is in the research they've showed that it reduces the the length of the telomeres have you heard of this yes yeah actually um, my thesis in my um, first masters was around um, the resi resilience of psychologists and and the adverse impacts of my my hypothesis was around more looking at the impact on rural psychologists but what I actually found which is quite relevant to this interview is what I actually found in the research was that isolation from their peer group or their colleagues professional isolation so to speak was far more harmful than geographical isolation um, so there were and there was a few other factors in there but I won't go into that that now but certainly some of the, those Yes, the research around the impact, the physical impact and that cyclic from the psychological harm and the physical harm and then the, those two working together and, and, you know, so it can be so harmful for people. Yes, yes. And, and you, you, you even see it physically in people. That's why, for example, carers of, of chronically ill people, you see them, they go prematurely grey, they get wrinkles and that is this reduction in the telomeres which is the end of the, the chromosome, like, like little shoelaces. The ends of shoelaces they actually they reduce over our lives anyway but they reduce even faster if you have this chronic stress and so you age quicker so no one wants to age quicker and get age-related diseases but yeah there's there's some some real concerns around those sorts of things and that's interesting yeah. your research because also there are ways to actually deal with that and, and that support is one of them. Support can have an impact, can, can buffer against those things. That ca workplace connection and, and feeling that they're working towards mutual goals rather than every man for themselves 
on 24-7. You know, I think that's probably one of the hardest things that people have to work with is that they might be working in a very large workplace, but they feel completely isolated and alone in what they're doing or they might work in a city or, um, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't matter how many people are, are actually around you. It, it's that, as you said, it's that support and connection and working towards a mutual goal that often has a lot to do with their not only their job satisfaction but also their, their physical and psychological well-being. So I was wondering if you could tell us a, a bit more, like, you know, obviously if you're an employee or an employer or a manager and you feel that your workplace um, needs some support or perhaps even speaking to the individual, what would you tell an individual about building their resilience in the workplace? I know you ran over those three areas before. And you mentioned creativity. Actually, I think I, I was listening to an episode of Inside the Champion's Mind, which is another podcast on the wellness couch. And Marcus and Lawrence talked about how Google allows their employees to have a certain percentage of their paid time on creative projects. And by giving them that freedom and that capacity to express themselves creatively, um, they found it actually not only improved their psychological well-being, but it also improved their outcomes at Google because people were much more resilient and open and their creativity muscle was being flexed regularly. So what would you say are, are things that the individual can do um, in the workplace to build their resilience? So are you talking about what a manager can do to help help their team or what an individual can do themselves? Probably a little bit around the individual and then maybe we'll talk about managers as well after. Okay, all right. Uh, so I think from an individual perspective, it's one of the things that really show, is really effective is, is using the positivity, use, being positive about things and that I know that sounds trite but there are the strategies around at the end of each day, think of three positive interactions that you have had through the day and you do this each day and you, you don't even have to write it down, you can just spend a little bit of time thinking about it and that if you keep doing that for two or three weeks, you find your mood tends to improve. And positivity is really helpful in, in resilience. So that's one thing you can do. So that's that's a, a mental thing. So if they if they if they struggled, if they're in such a sort of a quite a dark place, let's say, where just being positive is a bit tricky, would it be helpful also maybe to just to think just something that they actually they ticked off you know what what did they tick off their to-do list or what were they what did they achieve or what was an something constructive that they completed or even an interaction that they had that they didn't suspect they could have had like they maybe spoke to Betsy in the coffee room and she was chatty or something so is that do you think that's, that that's the sort of thing you can do and someone else that I was talking to recently said he was about to go into a very he thought would be an extremely negative meeting. He didn't know how to handle it. He was feeling really down. And he said for some reason he just pulled out his wallet and looked at a picture of his two-year-old child. He said it just changed his whole perspective. He said he just got buoyed up and he walked into that meeting and he said it actually went really well because he just changed. He, he took something pleasurable and thought took had life in perspective a little bit more. So 
sometimes it, th- it can be things like that that can, can turn for you, can make a difference. To shift that perception of what, what's coming or um, know that there's more to them than necessarily that worker role and maybe they have to bolster some of the things they're doing well outside that worker role and hopefully if they can do their hobbies and interests and things outside of work then that may improve how they see their work. Is that what you're saying as well? That's right, that's right. So pick, so, so it may be having some, a, a photo of something or something that, they, that reminds them that a little talisman that reminds them of good times and taking perspective is one thing that they can do that so that's that's good for some people that works well for some people the other one that I use with quite a few people is is just the the breathing I mean we tend to shallow breathe and you find that then then you get stressed and and you you tend to close down so even that ability to sit there for a moment and actually take deep breaths do deep diaphragmatic breathing you find you just calm down and you can think more clearly. Your mind tends to come back to issues and, and solve problems much quicker if you can do that. Yeah, so that, that extended breath out often triggers our, what we would hope would trigger our relaxation response. Yeah. So that, that hopefully we can settle down some of that cortisol and adrenal response. So what about from a management perspective? If you there's a bit of low morale in the workplace and a manager's looking to try and lift things a little bit, what kind of ideas do you give them about building resilience of their team or for themselves? Yeah, and and the thing that I think is really important in here is just making is 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 just letting people know that you have their health and welfare front of mind. Now, I deal with a lot of managers who aren't good at talking about emotions or wellness or they might be slightly introverted. And I just suggest to them, just at the end of your team meetings every week, just maybe one of the agenda items, how are we all going? Are we tracking okay? Make sure everyone is looking after each other. It's showing that concern. You may not get any feedback from those comments, but they have an impact. And so it's actually looking out for people, just saying, you are you are valuable. Your, your contribution, you as a person, you are valued. I'm concerned about your welfare. I'm looking out for you. That management concern, just saying it, is, is really a powerful tool. And sometimes managers will think, well, I said it, but no one had any response. Doesn't matter, keep doing it. Yes. So that's a really important thing to do. That's great. And I just think it's so valuable. I mean, from your article as well, and of course we hear it on the radio all the time on the news that the the impact or the cost of people taking time off work because of stress-related issues, whether that be bullying or feeling overwhelmed or or that their resilience has been completely depleted. I think the work that you're doing is just amazing. Um, I was wondering if you could give me a bit of an idea of what you've learned about people through your consulting and training managers. That's a really interesting question, Carrie, because when I first studied psychology and I did organisational psychology and you get these accusations from people who are doing clinical, oh, you just want to avoid the problems, you just want to go into the business and not deal with the individuals in there. And to some extent, you know, that's right. And so when I first did organisational psychology, we looked at things like um, performance feedback, training. We looked at the big picture stuff. And I worked in this for a few years and I loved it. But I realised, hang on, there's something missing here. What I found was missing was that 
we actually do have to look at every individual, every person that comes, because you can't change a system without working with people. That's right. And people are all different and people people are all capable of change, but everyone is different. They have their own their own self perceptions, their own way that they look at themselves, their own needs, and that's just so variable. And you can't tell when you look at someone. You can tell how tall they are, how what colour their eyes are or their hair is, but you can't tell what's going on between their ears. So that's not straightforward. So there, it's not. It's something that you actually have to start working on and really looking at and thinking about and and being open to being challenged. And it's the people that are individual people that are so important, and they need to trust you and respect you. And they may not agree with you, but but it's trust is really important. But, and those individual differences and how they they feed into the system. So. Yeah. What about yourself? What have you learned about yourself through your work as an organisational psychologist? Oh, that's that's a really interesting question because you know you get so immersed in yourself. You travel along this track and you think, where was I ten years ago, and where will I be in the future? We relate everything to where we are now, and I suppose I've become more aware. I've I've become more aware of my own failings, and uh, and when I look at things. Things like um, all, all, the, all the conditions that you learn about people that were all susceptible. You go, oh, I might have a bit of that and I might have a bit of that. <laughs> you know, you start to identify all those things that you, you learn that no, you, you're a mixture of many things and, and the mind is, a, is a, an amazing, amazing thing. And, and I think for me it's... I think I've I've actually learnt to be more flexible. I've learnt to look at situations from a wider perspective. I've learnt to never assume, or I hope I've learnt to never assume. I think I still fall into those traps, and I just continue to learn. That's great. So, are there three? Um, or if you could give us three um, rituals or daily activities that you do to keep yourself grounded. Well. Let me see. Exercise. I do exercise, so I find that really important. And and the other thing that I, I find, and I'm just going to just deviate here very quickly because I find that if people are feeling down, they find it really hard to exercise or to do things like that. And I suggest that even if you think that you don't want to go out for a walk, you might just, or, or you get to, you wake up in the morning, you think I can't be bothered. Well, I suggest just put your shoes on and say, well, I'm not going to go, I can't be bothered, but I just put my shoes on. And what you find is if you make a movement, you more often than not go. So that's that's the sort of thing. Just do one little thing that sets you on that path, but give yourself permission to not go if you don't want to. So, but I do, yeah, I do, I have exercise, diet, I I work a lot on, on having a good diet as well and uh, those two impact on sleep, so those sorts of things. But I every now and then um, I bring in the, in the positivity. If I find that I'm getting a bit negative about things, I actually have to step back and, and, and I practice those positivity exercises. But also I will add in there's one more thing that I, have, that I think has uh, one of the most profound impacts and that's 
it's in this realm of positivity but it's it's this sense of awe that has an amazing impact if you're feeling down or things aren't working well if you can find something to just sit back and appreciate and it might be a sunset or it might be watching some birds or it might be something that you actually it's not just have gratitude for but you actually think isn't that amazing so that sense of awe tends to to open up for me a perspective on life and, and take away some of those little problems that wake you up at three o'clock in the morning that we're not supposed to have but we do yeah that's wonderful thank you so much for sharing those now how can people find you as a consultant or a co if a manager is looking for a coach um, who wants to build resilience in themselves or their workplace how do people find you well uh, we have a website it's a psychology at work website so we're just a group a small group of psychologists who work in the field of conflict and resilience and also cross-cultural work and so it's psychology at work um, my my website address is susan at psychology at work.com.au that's wonderful. Well, it's been so great to listen to you and share some of your amazing ideas. And I'm sure the listeners have found a piece of information there or a few little gems to to help them build their resilience to everyday work. But otherwise, they can go along and, and find you and talk some more or read some more of your articles. So I hope everybody's found today's information useful. Don't forget to su support the show by telling your friends or you can go to our Facebook page, Carrie Thompson Casey. That's Thompson without a P and like us there and give us your feedback. You can also subscribe to the show in iTunes and don't forget to give us a five-star rating if you like the show. You can also support us by going to the website carriethompsoncasey.com. Thank you for joining me and see you on the next episode of The Abnormal Psychologist where we share real people's stories and give you real ideas so that you can realize your potential. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.